So we're halfway through our Credimus series. This idea that this Latin word with its root of cred is our credentials, our belief still to the world, to take the seven things that we know to be true and to unpack them. It felt important for Camille and I to be able to take the chance to do this uh, because they were such a big part of the invitation and draw for us to come and serve your community. To be able to hold up for us as incoming pastors a witness to where you are as a church and to have the Spirit ring through those seven things and say yes, Yes, these are a kindred people. These are a people we can and we will serve in faith today and in the days ahead. So we've been going through the seven things we know to be true. They're in a little different order than they appear on our lawn signs and other things, uh, but we've been unpacking them in a way that's uh, been fruitful for us uh, in, uh, as ministry leaders. Uh, and so last, or that we started with, the first week, your story is important. We talked about being important to God important to us as a church, important to me as a pastor. We long for hope that your story is important to you for where you come from, who you are, all that you have to offer is the means by which God will use you to shape the world. Two weeks ago, Reverend Camille talked about God's love changes everything. This pervasive sense of God's grace that is moving in and through us, that in a world of hate and bigotry and misogyny, it is in fact God's love that becomes the only remedy to the needs and brokenness of our story. Last week, if you were here in worship, you heard Reverend Nicole, our former lead pastor, share about the Bible has a message for us today. And she worked through a message and a story of how our scripture from beginning to end is a narrative of God's relationship to us. And there are different periods, ages in the stories of Scripture where our relationship with God in part changes and evolves, but it is always leaning towards fracture, that we continually break our relationship, either in an interpersonal or in a corporate way as a people. But the good news is, the hope is that Jesus Christ comes as the redemption and then tasks us as the church to be about that work of reconciliation. And so today, at our breakwater point in the middle, we're going to talk about everybody has stuff, and that's okay. The great news about stuff having, uh, that with the fabulous air quotes around it, is you get to pack all sorts of things from your life, from your story, from your history, into that anticipation. Everybody has stuff baggage, some of it negative that we carry from past experience, many of it positive. As you heard the, the rich stories and talents of the new members that joined us, we could do a similar thing for all of the existing members of this church to know the gifts, the talents that we are just awash in as a people here. We all have stuff. And when our stuff doesn't match, doesn't line up, doesn't seem to uh, be perfectly fitting with anybody else's, the affirmation becomes, that's okay. If you look at our sign on the corner, we have our Everybody Has Stuff sign up right now, and underneath it is a little tagline. It says, no one belongs here more than you. I think that's great. If I had the chance to edit that and put up what I want, I'd put, churches want everyone to come. We'll settle for you. <laughs> Church is a place where you can bring your stuff and your experience with life and know that it will be used by God's grace and with good purpose in the life of the church and the transformative work of the body of Christ. 
And when you look at your stuff and you say, there's no way, Pastor Andy, that God can use my history, my baggage, my story, my brokenness for the building of the kingdom of God, well, you are missing the importance of the biblical foundation upon which this idea is centered. God has always called and equipped the least likely people. Our Bible is full of stories of people who didn't think their stuff was enough or worth it that God then used for greater purpose. In the Hebrew scriptures, consider these examples. Jacob, who steals the birthright of his brother and has to flee out of fear, who's tricked into marrying two different women and then creating family with those two wives and concubines who goes back and offers his brother a sacrifice for forgiveness and then at the edge of the river has to wrestle with God himself until he's stricken in the hip. That guy is called and equipped. Moses, who was a murderer and fled to the wilderness, is called from the burning bush and equipped by God to go and deliver God's people. And Moses is full of excuses. I'm slow of speech. Nobody's going to listen to me. I have no example to give. And God still calls and equips the excuse makers into greater purpose. David, the great king upon whom the longing of the prophets in the New Testament rests. This man after God's own heart who wrote many of the worship psalms of our scriptures. That David is an adulterer, a war general whose glory comes from the tens of thousands of soldiers he's killed? The least likely people are those whom God has stirred up. Even the prophets. The prophets in their day were seen as, as ne'er-do-wells and troublemakers. They were not liked because they were the singular ones willing to stand up for God in tumultuous times and say to a community, you are not as you are called and equipped to be. It is not that they had the perfect voice or the perfect message. They were willing. God equips the imperfect in the Old Testament. Consider the example of the Gospels. The people that Jesus calls to follow him. Philip and Nathaniel have that great conversation about Jesus' ethnic and cultural background. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Their lack of trust about who he is and where he came from. Jesus calls Peter. The rock upon whom the early church is built, the first bishop and pastor of the church in Jerusalem, is a simple fisherman who gets it wrong again and again, who is rebuked as Satan by Jesus and has to be restored after denying Jesus three times. Jesus even invites Judas to follow. The one who seems so obsessed with money. The one who will betray him. Judas, too, is invited into the fold. And then in the resurrection, Jesus has the audacity to appear to Saul, the perfect executor of early Christians, to blind him, to change his story, and invite him to become an apostle to the Gentile world. And it is his teachings and his language that shapes so much of the church's identity to this very day. Jesus calls disciples that are imperfect and unlikely. And then the New Testament example that builds on this legacy of Paul, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 talks about people of faith 
Who are the faith examples upon whom we should rest, upon whose strength we should draw as we run life's race? That list includes people like Sarah who laughed at God. Have you ever laughed at God? Come and serve as the lead pastor of Valencia United Methodist Church. <laughs> right, God. She laughs at God and yet is lifted up as an example of faith. Rahab the prostitute, and then the list ends with those who have been imprisoned, persecuted, and killed for the sake of the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the broken people whose stuff becomes legendary faith. These are the people who are a part of the great cloud of witnesses that surround you and me as we run the race that God has laid before us. We all have stuff, and that's okay. One additional textual example that I want to lift up this morning comes from Pastor Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. He uses the image of the body of Christ to understand who we are as a church in a very literal way. Some are hands, some are eyes, some are mouths, some are, are ears, some are kneecaps. We all have a part to play in the larger body of Christ. And this is what he writes. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts that we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with greatest care. At the first service, I said, I'd like you to take note, I am preaching in pants today. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While we, the more honorable parts do not require this kind of special care. So God has put this body together such that the extra honor and care are given to the parts that have less dignity. What sense is that? Well, Paul says this makes for harmony amongst the members so that all the members care for each other, regardless of honor, regardless of value. He goes on to say if, if one part suffers, all of the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all of the parts are glad with it. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If we were all a part of that body and we suffer together and indeed are glad together, we have to come to understand what it means to say we all have stuff and that's okay. Here are the things we believe to be true about this idea of stuff and how we come to this church and we function as the body together. The first affirmation is this, and it is a scriptural one. It comes right out of Romans 5, where all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Another way to put that, we use in our reflection and say, no one is perfect, and no one has all the answers. That is certainly true of your pastors. It is true of one another in the pew. No one is perfect. No one has all the answers. In fact, what is required of us is a mutual dependence. In seminary, we use the image of the toolbox, that each of us is equipped with a set of tools for life and for ministry. And it may be that in Andy's toolbox is an excellent hammer and a pretty good saw. But if I was called upon to do some drilling or to level, I would be incomplete because when I look in the toolbox of my background, experience, gifts, and talents, we do not find that there. But God has gifted partners in ministry. 
who are levelers, who are drillers, who are screwdrivers and wrench heads. And for all of the things that I don't have as a strength, because no one is perfect and no one has all the answers, are found in your box. And it is not a subject for jealousy or for envy. I need not spend my time staring at my hammer and my saw and say, why do I not have an Allen wrench? No, instead it is an opportunity to say, praise God for those who do. Because they complete me and they complete the body of Christ through me. If none of us has all the answers and none of us is perfect, then we all have so much to learn from one another. Not just from me. And I get that most weeks my voice gets amplified through a microphone. But you learn from each other in your mutual participation in one another's lives, in your common worship together, and how you experience the world together. Because learning and growth is a lifelong process. It is not complete in one sermon, one sermon series, one year of attendance, or even in your membership class, new members. Sorry to tell you, there's still work to be done for the kingdom of God. The first service, my dad was sitting right here where the hills are in the front row. And I looked right at him and I said, I remember being confirmed by you. I still have a leather Bible in my office that was presented to me in my confirmation class. And that is a reminder to parents, grandparents, and guardians that after worship this morning, Camille in the youth room is teaching uh, an introductory lesson about what confirmation is and whether or not it's for your youth. She has sent out invitations in hopes that you will join her in that process. But when I was confirmed, I got my leather-bound Bible in the fifth grade, and I felt great about who I was, but I have come since to believe the following. I'm so glad God wasn't done with me in the fifth grade. And boy, did I think I had a lot of the answers as a 12-year-old. But I'm so glad God wasn't done with me yet. And I can say now at 45 that I'm so glad that God is not done with me because this learning and growth that we do is a lifelong process. And I learn each day, each week, each month the ways in which God is at work in me as a pastor, as a human being, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. That there is an incompleteness to my stuff because no one is perfect, not even me. And I need to continue a lifelong pattern of growth. And development. And the simple truth is, is that learning and growth is best accomplished in relationship with the others. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. The head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. We are dependent on one another, even though our experiences and our stuff may be different because the learning and the growth that is required of me is best found in the path that you have walked. We make each other better because we are not created to be or called to be alone. Now, I say that knowing that there are patterns in life and times in life where you may feel lonely. Your kids have moved out of the house. Your job situation is threatened. You've gone through a breakup or a divorce or you've lost a partner to health. Your parents are aging and you need to move them from one situation to another. 
We've lost them in death. There are times when you feel lonely, but we are not equipped to be alone. The learning that God has for us takes place in community. It is why this church presents opportunities to serve together, to lead in worship together, and over 30 small groups to connect with one another. Because the learning and growth of the body of Christ best happens in relationship with others. And when it comes to stuff, and it's okay to have it. It's a reminder that this is a safe place to land because we operate from a simple affirmation. We are here for you. And when I put this slide together, the, the tech team said, did you realize you made that bigger than it fit? And if you're watching at home, it probably extends outside your monitor as well. I didn't. I just liked big font. But I'll tell you what, it's an apropos picture for what's going on around here, because if you say there's no way that my stuff fits with Pastor Andy's vision of the church, there's no way my stuff is acceptable at Valencia United Methodist Church, it is bigger than you think and imagine. Not unlike the grace and mercy of God. When you think you've reached the edge of it, it goes further, and we are here for you. Why? Because that's how we're hardwired as Methodists. We participate in the Wesleyan way. John Wesley's vision for what it means to be disciples of Christ. We have an absolute obsession that Camille started talking about two weeks ago with the idea of grace and the abundance of that grace and that it will draw us into what we call being perfect in love. At our ordination, Camille and I were asked this question question. And it is almost scandalous. Do you believe in your life that you will be made perfect in love? Wow. Lord, I hope so, because I'm not yet and haven't ever been. But it's an affirmation for clergy and indeed for all of us as Methodists to have a sense of longing, to have something that sits in our story as an aspiration for what we long to be and an inspiration that gives it breath and life that we continue the journey towards it. The thing about being perfect in love is Wesley himself felt like he never got there. He could always point to folks in his church, usually women older than him, who were getting it better and more right in their relationship with God. And if you look around and everybody is better than you, welcome to my experience. It's an opportunity for us to grow in grace and connect with one another. Because the simple truth is, is that it is an incomplete completion. It is an imperfect perfection. Because there is always room for us to grow and move with grace and mercy. Because God wasn't done with me in the fifth grade. God's not done with you at whatever age you find yourself. Even if you're the oldest person in the room, God is not done with you yet. So what then do we do? Well, my affirmation with this one is simple. And it's a far-casting vision here in the fourth week of 2023. That somehow in the next 48 weeks of this year, you ought to expect that God is going to move and use you. It is not enough for any of us to be able to say it is somebody else's job to share the love of God and the work of the body of Christ. You shouldn't say, I'm so glad we have pastors that do that, staff that does that, worship bands that do that, tech teams that do that. Figure out where God is going to move and use you 
Because the simple truth is, is whatever stuff or baggage you feel keeps you from being used, everyone has, and that's okay. Expect God to be moving in and through you and your story and your experience and the relationships that you build today, tomorrow, and in the tomorrows that we are granted together. That's the way we get to say, we're all here for you. Everybody has stuff. That's okay. Nobody belongs here more than you do. Would you join me in a moment of prayer?